Welcome to another episode of That's Some Crazy Shit with Kelly and James. I am Kelly and the co-host with the most, it's going to be your new intro, is James. What is up? I'm glad to be here coming to you from uh, That's Some Crazy Shit Broadcasting Tower again, corner studio. Nice, nice, nice. I'm I'm still in my my house. Yeah. Well, you know. You got to think big, my friend. You're in your studio. You're in your recording studio at Casa La Kelly. Casa La Kelly. I like it. So um, we have another guest today, James. And this time, this is some crazy shit as well. Now, this guest is an author, wrote a book. Um, And he wrote a book called Loving Yourself Wealthy, Volume 3, The Power of Angels. And the thing that makes this crazy shit is that Joseph Holmes, who is the author, who is our guest, says that he has been channeling poems from Mary Magdalene for years and that he has put these poems into a book. And every day he gets a poem. Even today, every day he channels a poem from her. See, you know, by definition, that's some crazy shit. That's some crazy shit. And so he's um, on today to talk about how all this happened, you know, why, you know, just kind of, you know, explain his journey and then why he decided to put all this stuff into a book. Well, right on. Yeah. So he is our guest today. Um, I found him extremely kind and I love talking to him. I think we should just get right to it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, author Joseph Holmes. Hello, thank you uh, listeners for tuning in to That's Some Crazy Shit with Kelly and James. Uh, today's guest is Joseph Holmes. Uh, thanks for being with us, Joseph. How are you? Oh, you're welcome. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Um, Joseph, now you wrote a book on angels and your experience with it, and I believe it's called The Power of Angels. Is that correct? Yes, Power of Angels, Volume 3. Oh, Volume 3. Could you tell our listeners about that and your experience with how you came to write that? Well, it uh, revolves around my topic of uh, what I call the trinity of creating a life full of meaning, significance, joy, love, and success. And the first part of the book, or my my angel stories, and that's the first part of that trinity, is uh, encouraging people to come out of their, what I call their angel closet, I believe there's billions of people on the planet uh, who have their own personal angel stories but are intimidated about sharing them because they're, you know, they think they're going to be called crazy or whatever. But that's the central part, and that's what the first part of the book. Uh, uh, I, I share my angel stories to encourage people to start sharing theirs, because when you start sharing your stories, it lays the groundwork for discovering what your purpose is in life, what your gift is. And the third part of the Trinity, uh, sharing that gift with the world and all the doubts and fears that start coming up. So the second part of the book, I share uh, Mary Magdalene's spiritual poetry uh, that uh, encourages, that helps people discover their gift and then start dealing with the uh, doubts and fears that come along when you start sharing it. now, how did that, how did this poetry start coming to me? <laughs> it was in uh, December of 2012. 
And uh, Mary Magdalene just woke me up at two in the morning, had me sit down at my desk with a legal pad, yellow legal pad, a paper with a pen. And every morning since then, uh, they've just been flowing through me nonstop every morning. Uh, the number varies, but in the beginning, uh, they were her quatrain poetry, four stanza poems. And uh, today she's uh, moved into longer poems. Uh, but the book, The Power of Angels, Volume 3, that has all of her quatrain poetry. So the very short poems uh, doesn't, don't take a lot of time to read. And then I also have a commentary to each poem that helps the reader understand what she's talking about. You know, I think sometimes people won't share their angel stories because people associate angels with religion. And if you're not a religious person, it doesn't mean that you're, you can't see angels, but I think that sometimes people are more apt to dismiss it because maybe I'm not a religious person. So only religious people see angels, right? Well, I'm not religious either. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I think most people correlate right, angels right. with religion. And so maybe they are seeing angels, but oh, I see. you know right. what I'm saying? But they sure. don't want to admit that they're seeing angels because they feel like it has to be a religious experience. And you mm -hmm. have to put a label on it is what I'm saying when you really don't have to at all. No, not at all. Um, I'm not religious. And in fact, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary both come to me in spiritual terms. Uh, they have no connection to any religion. And I think that's important for readers to know, your listeners to know, is that, you know, religion, in the issues with religion, and and I think religion, uh, religion does have a very place in our in our society, but it's full of dogma and doctrine. And that's what uh, trips most people up, is the dogma and doctrine. And uh, Mary and Maggie, now these love notes, uh, when uh, Mary Magdalene woke me up in December 2012, and she started uh, uh, dictating these to me, we were calling them uh, love notes from Maggie, because I asked her, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? <laughs> and I said, I know Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, but next to Melissa, it's one of my favorite uh, names. And she said, no, you can call me Maggie. So we started calling these lovers from Maggie, which is important because uh, when we, if you want to start talking about the thousand fears that come into it, you know, that, that became very significant. Uh, uh, December, January, February, March, four months later, in the, in the April of uh, 2013, I started having major doubts about all this. I thought, come on, you know, these aren't coming from Mary Magnum. People are going to think I'm nuts. So in April, I one morning in April, I just gave her an ultimatum. I said, if these are really coming from you, I want concrete proof, a burning bush, something that nobody can refute. And so a day went by and nothing happened. A week went by and nothing happened, but the poems kept coming through. You know, a month went by and nothing happened, but the 
poems keep coming through, and I just kind of forgot about the ultimatum. Then in July of that year, so three months later, Maggie says to me, I want you to publish these. So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to publish these, maybe I should get some reviews. Now, I don't want to ask my friends because they'll just give me nice reviews. I wanted some honest reviews. So I went to this website that has thousands of people on it that just provide different services. And uh, I was willing to pay some people for their time, but not for the review. I told, I was going to, this is what I was thinking. I'll find some people, pay them for the time to read the poems, and if they're moved to give me a review, good or bad, they can do so. If they weren't, that's fine. At least I paid them for their time. So I'm looking through these bios of people, and it's taking forever, and I'm thinking, you know, this isn't going to work. So I'm very uh, uh, visual. So I just started quickly going through the photos of people. And I came upon this photo of a woman named Angelina. And she provided the service, but it wasn't a book review or anything. But Maggie told me, send her an email. So I sent her an email and I didn't tell her anything except I have some poems. I didn't tell her anything about Mary Magdalene. I just said, I have some poems. I'll pay you for your time to read them. If you feel uh, like you want to give me a review, I would appreciate it. And she writes back and she says, well, no, that's that's not what I do. So, so you would think I would look for someone else, but Maggie said, no, stay with her. So for two or three days, we went back and forth. She didn't want to do it. So finally, she writes me an email. She says, okay, send me some poems. And uh, so this time when I sent her the poems, I told her about Mary Magdalene and me calling her Maggie because we were calling the poems Love Notes from Maggie. Well, the next day she writes back and she goes, Joseph, I have to tell you this. I love these poems. I have to tell you this, and you are not going to believe me. So I'll send you proof. But she said my name, that everybody knows me as, is Angelina. But when I was born, my mother wanted to name me Mary Magdalene. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And she said, so on my birth certificate, my name is Maria Magdalena, and her last name. And she said, and when I was growing up in Greece, one day, one of my friends called me Maggie. And I loved it. And so from that point on, just my best friends would call me Maggie. I said, no, wait a minute. Because I thought maybe I was incorrect. I said, is Maggie in that part of the world? Is Maggie a nickname for Magdalena? She said, no. But one day, one of my friends, one of my friends called me Maggie and I loved him. So the next- You asked for a burning bush. That's a burning bush. And then (laughs) I I remember reading that. And she sent me a copy of her passport to prove it. But 
I remember reading that and looking back at her name, Angelina, Angel, Ina. This is the angel from Mary Magdalene, my burning bush. So the next day, the next morning when Maggie got me up, she's the first poem she sends me, which is in the book, she says, Ah, Joseph, when things like this happen, it is magical and fun. Angelina to Magdalena to Maggie. Who would have thought? And from across the sea. And we even look alike, so run, my dear, and jump and sing, that when you look at her, you are seeing me. Wow. That beautiful? I have cold chills. Yeah. And but a lot, what I want to emphasize to your listeners is you would think after that, I would never have any doubts, right? But that's not the way ego, ego, E-G-O, macronym for edging God out. That's, that's not how ego works. Ego's only job is to keep you out of your heart, where your imagination drives, and keep you in your head where all your doubts and fears live. So a few months later, she, uh, I'm starting to have a little bit of doubt. Now, whenever I get doubt now, you know, when it starts to creep in, I don't have to give it up. Maggie comes right in. <laughs> like she slaps me on the puts, face. Right? Puts a stop, stop to it. Or I stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to give you a, a quick example, um, your angels will uh, put you through experiences through your life because they know that later on you're going to start having doubts if you get into your angels. And so they have these reference points to send you back. So when I was seven years old, I, uh, um, my family and I were on vacation and we stopped in Nogales, Arizona. And to me, to a seven-year-old, Nogales was cool because right across the border is Nogales, Mexico. Same name. I thought that was cool. Anyway, <laughs> we get into Nogales late at night, we go to bed, and the next morning my two brothers and parents are up and getting ready to walk to breakfast, I'm still in bed. While I'm lying in bed, this wave of peace entered the crown of my head, swept through my body and out my feet, and I didn't know what it was. And But it felt good. So so today I call it a wave of grace, but at that point it just, just felt peaceful. I didn't tell anybody about it. Well, I got up, we were walking to breakfast, waiting at the corner across the street uh, and it happened again to me and again i didn't tell anybody seven years old i didn't know what it was but it felt good well a couple years ago uh, some doubt started creeping in and maggie says to me look up carlos constantino I'm thinking, Carlos Constantino? Well, for your listeners who don't know, Carlos Constantino was an anthropology major uh, at UCLA in the early 1960s. And she and he, uh, for his doctoral thesis, he went out to the Arizona desert and began studying with a, a Yaqui Indian shaman. And he wrote it all into, into for his doctoral thesis, which 
after he got his uh, doctorate degree, he published it, and it became a worldwide sensation. But his critics said, you know, he's making all this stuff. There's no way that he did this. And that was a great controversy. Well, I, because I was an anthropology student in the 70s, I knew just about everything about Carlos. Uh, and that was always the sticking point. You know, did he make it up or was it true? Well, so Maggie, when I'm having this doubt, Maggie says, look at Carlos Casaneda. So I'm thinking, hey, Carlos, I know everything there is to know about him. But I Googled him and I'm reading this stuff and, you know, I already know. It. But on the sidebar, there's this title that says, I can confirm Carlos's meeting with Don Juan at the Nogales bus station. I thought, well, that's interesting because that was the criticism. Carlos always said, no, Don Juan, you know, the shaman he studied under is, is real. I met him for the first time at the Nogales, Arizona bus station. But there was no proof of it. Well, this guy is saying he saw the meeting. So I click on that and I'm reading it. And he's talking about traveling in Mexico. And he was uh, going to cross over to the States. He was coming home and he got sick. And he uh, stopped uh, in a little suburb in Nogales, Mexico, right across the border from Nogales, Arizona, to uh, recuperate. He said that's important because if, if he hadn't stopped to recover in Mexico, he would have missed the meeting. So once he felt well enough to travel again, he crossed over the, the, the Nogales border and he was at, he, he was going to take a bus home. He was at the Nogales, Arizona bus station and he saw, and he knew Carlos, they were friends. He saw Carlos with Don Juan. Well, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, why did Maggie ask? And then at the end of the story, he says, the name of the town I stopped to recuperate in, a suburb in Nogales, Mexico, is Magdalena. <laughs> See, things happen. There are no coincidences, in my opinion. I'm doubting. <laughs> but I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said, in my opinion, there are no coincidences. That just, you know, how does that happen? That just happens to be the name of the town. Yeah, I mean, but but see, your your angels will set you up in these things that don't make sense to you at the time, but they use them as reference points because they know once we start listening to our hearts, and you know, for your listeners who don't believe in angels who are not religious, call it your intuition, call it your heart, you know, following your heart, you know, following your bliss. It doesn't matter. I call it angels because I've seen them. But if you just can't get there, that's okay. Call it something else. But uh, any, but for those who really do uh, accept that there are angels and they and, and they're connected to them, uh, they will have these reference points for you. So when you start doubting, they send you back to that reference point. Stop it. <laughs> Stop doubting. <laughs> Do you think or do you know, Joseph, if in fact everybody in fact has a guardian angel? Um, you know, I never I never thought about it. I, I'm assuming they do. Uh, in this 
in this volume, it's the first, this is volume three, it's the first uh, volume where Maggie actually had me put. Uh, those people who are attracted to her poetry can consider her one of their guardian angels. If you're not attracted to her poetry, then that's fine, you know, but if you are, then you consider her one of your guardian angels. I do believe, personally, I do believe that everyone does have a guardian angel. Parentheses S, right? Um, but I've never confirmed it by the So, Joseph, what are angels for our listeners? You know, you hear so many stories. What are they? Uh, angels are just incarnate beings who were once in real, you know, human form. Are in the afterworld. Uh, I call it reality. That realm where angels live, where only love is real. That's another message of Mary Magdalene. Only love is real. So only love. And um, you have earth angels. You know, the, your angels will use people as earth angels to help you along. I have a lot of stories along those lines, but, uh, which are in the book, but um, be nice to people, you know, for no other reason. <laughs> that they, it's they funny may, you say that. They may be an air thing. And, okay. and it's funny you say that, Joseph. My grandmother always used to say that, be nice to strangers because yes. you never know when you might host an angel. And yes. I've always remembered yes. that from when I was a little kid. Yes. That's actually on the their case of the uh, Shakespeare and Company bookstore in Paris, France. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But um, if, you, if you have time, I have one more. I can give you one more quick story about an Earth Angel. Uh, I'd love to hear it because you don't hear a lot of stories about Earth Angels. So sure. please share it with us. Sure. I'll go as quick as I can. But when I, in 1969, I was in my first year, or, sorry, this the fall of 1967, I was in my first year of college. And I was kind of a quiet person. I didn't go out and make a lot of friends. I didn't go out of my way to make friends. And uh, this was uh, at Southwestern Community College uh, near the Mexican border, uh, south of San Diego. And, and uh, a lot of the Mexican kids would come across the border uh, to go to college and then go home at, uh, after classes. And there was this one Mexican lady uh, that befriended me. I mean, she went out of her way to befriend me. And her name was Migdalia. Now, I had taken three years of high school Spanish. I had a lot of Hispanic friends growing up in San Diego. I had never heard that name. That was a very uncommon name. But her name was Migdalia. She was from a very wealthy family in, in Tijuana. And she just took a liking to me. I mean, in a friendship way, I think. Um, but she, she had a beautiful heart, but she was also striking. If she walked into a room full of people, she was, she was so beautiful, people would stop and look at her, you know. She had this long, straight black hair that went past her buttocks that looked like silk. 
she had this, um, you know, let's see, go to somebody, you know, an Aztec nose. She had this Aztec nose and just, just beautiful. And anyway, uh, we, she was an art major, I was an anthropology. So we didn't have any classes together, but between classes, if we saw each other, we would hang out together. And this was 1967, 68. So in, um, in the summer of 68, they started drafting college students for the Vietnam War. So I had a choice. I grew up in San Diego. I could move to Canada where it snows. <laughs> I could burn my draft card and go to jail. Or I could enlist and hopefully stay out of Vietnam. I wouldn't have to shoot anybody. Uh, well, so I decided to enlist. And I was going to tell Magnolia. Uh, and I was homeless at the time, by the way. My father had kicked me out of the house. I was living in a tent in the back, one of my friend's backyards. So I'm contemplating, what, what am I going to do with my life at this point? So I decided to enlist. And I was going to tell Magnolia. Um, but it was Friday, and the last time I saw her, it was Friday, and I had just gotten some books out of the trunk of my car. I was walking back to class, and she was leaving, and she carpooled uh, to school with five of her friends, and she would always sit in the back in the middle. Well, the car was pulling out to head home, and she didn't see me, but her friend saw me. So her friend poked her on the, on the arm and whispered to her, and Magdalia, she turned completely around, she, you know, she, she completely around on her knees, looking out the back and had this ear-to-ear -ear smile on her face waving goodbye to me. But she thought she was waving goodbye for the weekend. I never saw her again because things, being, I was having issues with my father and everything just, you know, ran together and I enlisted and, and into the army of it. Well, I was sent to Vietnam. I was uh, in the Army uh, Intelligence, which uh, we would intercept the communications from North Vietnam to the guerrilla units in the South and give that information to our troops. So when I got to Vietnam, everybody knows you knew because you're clean, right? And you have to go in the Saigon the capital before you go to your duty station. And uh, so I was in Saigon. Everybody's asking me because they knew I was new. They asked me, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to play coup, which was up in the Central Highlands. And every single person said, oh no, no, that's the worst place you can go. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't have any choice. <laughs> so anyway, you get to play coup. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had later found out the week, the month before I got to play through, you know, they hired local people to come on the base to wash the laundry and do stuff like that. Well, they must have some spies because a month before I got there, you know, when when the alarm goes off, uh, meaning they're sending mortars into the compound, if it's one in the morning, you have to get up, up get all your gear on, get your weapon, and go out to the single path and let down to the bunkers. Well, 
they lobbed those mortars right down that path, just walked them down that path. They knew exactly where they were putting them. A bunch of people were wounded, several people were killed. Well, when I got there in May of 1969, to May of 1970, we never took the direct hit. The air base next to us got hit two or three times a week, which started to irritate us because every time they went on alert, we had to go on alert. And so after a few months of this, we're thinking, you know, we're not going to get it. It became very complacent, very dangerous. In fact, uh, you know, we start walking down to, to the bunkers, you know. And, uh, but for the whole year I was there, I never took a hit. We worked out of these trailers on these trucks, so every got overran. Trucks could be taken off and we could be destroying all the classified information. Well, when it was time for me to come back home, I had to go back to Saigon and wait for my paperwork. I got a call. The trailer I worked in took a direct hit. Three of my friends were killed. And for the whole time I was there, so a few years ago, when I'm having doubts, Maggie says, look, look up Migdalia. Just out of the blue, look up Migdalia. And Migdalia? I haven't thought of Migdalia in decades. <laughs> but of course, you can't forget her name. But then, you know, when I do remember her, you can't forget her. But so I, I do a search on Migdalia and it says flower the meaning of the Magdalene's flower. I said, okay, all right, she was like a flower. So the next morning, Maggie says, look up Magdalia. Then I'm thinking, I looked her up. She's looking up again. <laughs> you know, you see her rolling in her eyes, right? Look it up again, use a different source. So I look up Magdalia. This is Magdalia, derivative of Magdalena. Maggie tells me when she turned around in that car and smiled and waved at She was telling me you were going to be okay in Vietnam. I mean, wow. still emotional for me. Yeah, yeah I bet. You know? Wow. But that's, that's how your angels do. They set you up. Because I know you're going to be doubting later on. So, yeah, very true. Joseph, thank you so much for sharing your stories and the book. Tell us the name of the book again, one more time. Yeah, yeah the book is The Power of Angels, Volume Three. Make sure you put Volume Three. If you just put The Power of Angels, all kinds, hundreds of angels' book will come up on Amazon. But if you put The Power of Angels, Volume Three, my book comes right up. It's the first one on there. So. Got it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you and I enjoyed having you. Yes. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very Hi. much, Joseph. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Okay, now you know I I don't believe in coincidences. You know, I you know I believe things happen for a reason. How many now, what do I call them? They can't be coincidences. How many things can happen to tell you, you know, 
this is there's something more to it. So maybe you know they're I mean? not called coincidences. Maybe what they're called confirmations. Okay, that's good. That works. Yeah. How many times can you get confirmation? You know that this stuff is there's something to it. You know that's pretty. Yeah. That's just his crazy. stories. I mean, just him getting confirmation. You know, asking for confirmation and then getting confirmation. And, then getting it, yeah. and the funny thing is, is that it's never when you want it because he wanted it right then and there. And right. it took a while. But when it came, there was no doubt in his mind that you he know, had gotten it, confirmation. It, yeah, and I think it's funny because I, I, he, people right now, they want that instant gratification, you know, that, that instant confirmation. But I think after you, have, after you have to wait for it and then it comes, I think there's more to it. You know, it's, it's more powerful. Like, yeah, you know, that confirms it. I think, but if you get that instant confirmation, you can always say, well... You know, whatever. You know, it comes so easy. Things are hard, man. Things, things you have well, to wait for things. And then, you know, there was a lesson. So he had to go through these steps. True. He was part of that confirmation, right? right? So I thought I thought his story was fascinating. I'm 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 really glad that he came on the podcast because that falls into into the criteria of crazy shit. That does. I mean, it is, it, and it's funny. I like. I like that people can come here and tell us their story without them thinking we're just going to ridicule them or belittle them or dismiss them, you know? And I think it's nice that they're they're comfortable enough to do that, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's funny because anybody that's had a crazy shit story always have said they're telling their story in hopes that somebody will come forward with their story. Right. And I think that's that's kind of why we started yeah kind of i think that's really cool you can always get us on our website www.thatsomecrazyshitpodcast.com there is all of our social media you can listen to past episodes you can read james's blog and you can uh yeah like i said you can get a hold of us you can drop us a line um we'd love to hear from you yeah make sure you drop us you know an email sharing your story you can come on anonymously we can you know have you on as a guest but let's get your story out there yeah so until next time keep your minds open people